So here we are, episode 14. And so the last uh, time I was talking <clears throat> about Hoagie and um, a Moody Blues concert that he gave my ticket away and, uh, you know, a bit of animosity on my part. I felt cheated. I felt... Uh, Betrayed, cheated. I mentioned when we got to Qualicum and stayed on my um, grandfather's property, he owned, I think he owned a couple of blocks, undeveloped blocks. He owned other land in Qualicum Beach as well, but uh, between 4th and 5th and 5th and 6th and the what was then the Island Highway, it went to Port Alberni, uh, there... Um, he owned those two lots and there was no houses. It was all trees. When Hoagie and I were in California, we picked up this ragtag group of people who followed us up here. Um, I, I mentioned Peter and I probably will get a really cool story about how I met Peter. Um, but we we ended up there on that property. I, I can't remember if I've told this before or not, but I'm going to quickly go through it. So uh, we lived in a little cabin, and uh, Mom and Bryce stayed in the cabin, and the rest of us kids lived in the bus, and there was four bunks in the bus. So we we stayed there. I'm pretty sure I already said all that. So they had been looking, my mom and Bryce had been looking for a, a piece of property to start a commune on. And so they found this property, um, which a lot of the pictures of the mountains that I, I post and a lot of the pictures that I post were taken on that property. Um, it was called Chicken Crest, which I mentioned before. So, um, But another part of the group, which I also probably mentioned, went and lived in a house. And so it was like two communes. Um, so in the house commune, Hoagie ended up living in that commune along with a, a bunch of other people that we had brought up with us, Hoagie and I, that we had met in uh, California. And they followed us up here, Morgan and Amy and Pat. And they had uh, kids, uh, Ben and uh, uh, Geraldine. So in that time when Hoagie was living at the commune, um, the, the group of us that were at the other commune, we, we stayed in touch. We, we partied together. We weren't, you know, there wasn't, a lot of animosity, but those people weren't invited by my mom and Bryce to live on the farm with us. So, um, I think Hoagie probably could have come there, but, uh, anyway, Hoagie ended up meeting this French Canadian girl and, uh, she couldn't speak a word of English and he couldn't speak a word of French, but they, they, entered into this relationship where they, um, Hoagie and this woman, they, they were madly in love apparently. And, uh, Hoagie had, he loved honey. There was a couple of things in life that he loved. He loved honey. He used to like sit down and eat a jar of honey with a spoon kind of a thing. Um, he just loved it. He just loved honey and he loved marijuana. And, uh, he had this dream of going to Columbia and, and setting up a marijuana plantation and raising honeybees that would make their honey off of the pot flowers, the marijuana flowers. So, I mean, and this girl, I, I don't know how much she understood, but they ended up 
taken off for Colombia and uh, is going to fulfill his dream of <laughs> raising raising bees to make honey from the marijuana flowers. Now, by then, I don't know where I how I was feeling about Hoagie. I think I was pretty. I was okay with him by then, you know, late, later, you know, I was still 12, but, um, and Hoagie, Hoagie had this, he had one prized possession that he took with him to California when we left Alabama, and that was a, he had a handmade guitar. It was a 12 string, and he was proud of this guitar that he said was built for him by some guy in Florida. And uh, my memory of that guitar was that it sounded beautiful, like it had just an amazing sound. Now, if you've heard a 12-string, they have a pretty amazing sound anyway, if they're in tune. But this one did have a deep, uh, you know, um, Martinesque quality or Gibson, you know, hummingbird kind of a quality, a deep, deep sound. So um, when Hoagie left, he left the guitar with me. I don't know if he, I mean, he had other friends, but I think I must have been his closest friend there. Um, I didn't play guitar at the time. I think I may have just been starting to play. The guitar, he had left it fully strung, and uh, it broke. The neck broke um, up by the head. It cracked, and then there was two cracks on the face of the guitar. So the guitar wasn't playable, um, but I was to hold on to it and he was going to come back and get it. It He ended up going down to, uh, Columbia and him and his, and his girlfriend, uh, they both died in a bus accident, um, a bus crash in Columbia. And, uh, that was, that was it. I mean, it was like that quick, uh, Hoagie was gone, um, I don't know how long he was in Columbia. It doesn't seem like it was that long that he was there. Um, but that's kind of what happened. I don't know how I dealt with that. I honestly don't remember. Probably got stoned. Um, I, In fact, I may have already been a Christian when I found out he was... He was dead. I can't. I I can't remember when exactly it happened, and I don't remember exactly. But I do remember later on in my life coming to grips with it. I still have that guitar, and um, at one point, my wife took the guitar to uh, a luthier to see if it would be worth fixing and what it would cost to fix it. Um, and he said he didn't think it was worth fixing. Now I had taken it to the guitar center in. Uh, in Victoria, it wasn't called the guitar center. The folk, the folk center, I think it was called. And I had a guy look at it uh, back in the '80s, and um, he said it looked like it was well worth fixing, and uh, he would have done it for free if he didn't have to make a living. But he said it was going to be a lot of work. Like in order to do it properly, he wanted to actually take the face off. Then he couldn't guarantee the tone and. Like, he had a whole bunch of things. He wanted to put more bracing underneath so that the, uh, you know, so that the uh, split wouldn't come back, the two splits. Um, 
And he, you know, he said in reality there should be a rod in the neck. There was no rod in the neck of the guitar. So there was a lot of things he wanted to do, and he, you know, he hoped that it would keep the same sound. Anyway, that was in the 80s. I had no resources to do that. In fact, I still have no resources to do that. It's probably, you know, $1,000 to fix it, or $1,500, or $2,000, and... I haven't thrown the guitar out. I'm not, I can't seem to bring myself to do that. I did take some of the, uh, I took the tuning, he had old Grover tuning pegs on it. I took them off and I put them on another guitar and I ended up selling that guitar with the Grovers on it. But I still have the other six because it was a 12 string and I only use six of the Grovers. So I still have six of these Grovers uh, tuning pegs that, um, you know, I, I'm attached to them too. So either I'll make my own guitar or, I don't know. I don't know what's going to happen with that. Um, so that that's that. That's the story of Hoagie. There's some other stuff that I touched on last time too. And one of those things was I talked about David in the Bible and how God uh, put his sin away. And that, like the translation that I was thinking of, I read a couple of different translations of the Bible. I read the New American Standard uh 1979, I think it is, was originally done. I can't remember. And uh, it it uh, it it puts it in that term. Also, the English Standard Version puts it in that that way. Um, I think it's Second uh, Samuel twelve, where it says God put put his sin away. Now, in, in saying that God put his sin away, I wasn't saying that there were no consequences, because there was consequences. There was dire consequences for what David did. His family was destroyed uh, because of what he did. Um, Bathsheba, the son that, that Bathsheba gave birth to at because of that incestuous or adulterous um, relationship, that son died. Uh, David, as soon as as soon as the son was born, uh, he realized the baby was sick, sickly, and he began a fast. He didn't eat or drink anything. He was he was in mourning for again. I think a lot of it had to do with his own sin, his own. You know, and it, again, I know our culture doesn't like that word, but in reality, all it means is is uh, missing the mark. It means to not live up to the standard that God has set for his people to have relationship with him. Like, if you don't want a relationship with God, then sin means nothing. Uh, it's, you know, back to the secular point of view, the secular worldview. Um, so anyway, I get sidetracked because I don't know how, how much people think about this stuff. and It's important to me, but it's not important to everybody. So later on... Uh, Solomon, who did become the king of Israel after David, was Bathsheba's son through David. Now, and Bathsheba was like David's fifth wife, I think, fourth or fifth, I can't remember. Plus, I said all the concubines he had. But the horrific story is that David's second oldest son, well, first of all, David's daughter got raped by his oldest son, a daughter from a different wife. So a son and a daughter, um, it's horrific. The stories are horrific, but this is—it's that's not God. People attribute this to God, but it's not God. This is humanity. This is what humanity is like. So here, this half brother 
is lusting after his half-sister and he seduces her into his room and then he rapes her. After he rapes her, he's like, you're a piece of garbage. Get out of my, get out of here. I don't ever want to see you again. Like he was madly in love with her until he had her. Now, and now if that doesn't fit for the world we live in today, I don't know what does. I mean, there's so many stories of people I know that live that. They're living that. Anyway, that that's another story. So then David uh, basically does nothing. He, he doesn't, like, theoretically, the son should have been put to death. Um, again, if, if he was following the laws that God had set down for the people of Israel, that son would have been stoned to death. He would have been, you know, that was grounds for death, for, for the death penalty. He did nothing. So the second oldest son, the, do- the, the brother of the girl that was raped, he held it in his heart. He took that. He took his sister in. She lived with her brother for the rest of her life. No children, which was shameful um, for that that culture at that time. And um, he he devised a plan, and he ended up years later. I can't remember how many seven. I can't, it's been a while since I read it. I should have read it. The story. Uh, it's again Second Samuel. He uh, he has a feast and invites all of his siblings, his half brothers and half sisters, and then he murders the his older brother, who would have been first in line for for the king being for the throne. So that's not the end of the story, though. Then he is outcast, and Dave sends him away to his grandfather. Now it turns out his grandfather is the king of another group of people. So not only has David uh, taken more than one wife. He took a wife from from a people he that the Israelites were specifically told not to mingle with. So David did a lot of things, and even outside of that, God still granted him forgiveness. You know, uh, I didn't mention, or maybe I did. Psalm uh, fifty one was a psalm that David wrote when Nathan told him that um, uh, he was the ban. That's the story from the last. So uh, pick up that psalm and read it and sort of get a a glimpse of the heart of David and the heart of God. Um, if If you have a hard time understanding it or interpreting it or figuring out what it's saying, send me a message or whatever. I'll try and help you understand. So that that brother years later came back. He was heartbroken that he couldn't see his dad, his family. Or he pretended to be. Anyway, he was brought back, but he couldn't come in and see David. He couldn't come into Jerusalem. So he was at his own house. Eventually, this son, Absalom, he rose up and gathered the people of Israel around him and sought to overthrow David as the king. Um, He was a handsome man. He was big. Um, And so this heartbreaking story where... um, this son rises up and kills uh, confidence of some of the confidants of, of David. And David flees the city uh, in fear for his life, but he doesn't want to kill his own son. And uh, and he's chased by, and this is, you know, it's a really kind of a long, it could easily be a movie and probably is a movie. It's a really kind of a long, cool story. In the end, Absalom dies at the hand of 
the head guy, the commander of David's army. And uh, and then David's response to that is is uh, wailing and weeping and remorseful, and because his son is dead now, he's lost two sons. His oldest oldest son is been murdered and now this son's mur- been killed you know and uh, David again appears to be despising God in his behavior and uh, God is still looking at David's heart not you know not so much his actions his weaknesses but his heart and what he what he how he feels and how he thinks and um how does all that relate I think ultimately the secular point of view is is uh, well. Let's talk about reason. Let's talk about purpose. So, you know, these deeper questions that that people ask, that I ask, and I don't just ask myself. I ask other people, like the questions like, "Why am I here? Like, why was I born? Why is it? Why is there? Why is there anything? Why is anybody alive? Why is there a reason for this? Or is there a purpose? Or is it just a fluke? Or?" So why is there something rather than nothing? I think I've mentioned these questions before. and These are questions that you ask that help you form a worldview. So basically what you're looking for is, is, uh, is reason. The Greek Stoics, you know, early philosophy, sort of pre, even pre-Socrates... Socrates kind of changed everything in the philosophy world, uh, but whatever. Um, the Stoics they they sort of held to a view of their you know uh, non attachment. Like I think they had a belief typically that there was something after life, but um, you know, like after death, but but not not a personal thing more of a reincorporation into the cosmos or whatever so that's kind of you know there's a lot of stoicism in the world we live in now uh, one of the one of the uh stoics i mean and i quote a lot of people that you know um i don't agree with everything they say there's very few people that i would say i agree with everything they say but epicetus um said uh, explaining the stoic position of not you know you live your best life you you establish your own reason basically but he said when you kiss your son in the morning make sure you tell yourself that he's going to die so you don't become too attached to him because he is going to die <laughs> we're all going to die sort of and that's that's a stoic kind of uh, attitude you know to to keep yourself de- detached from and not to think too deeply about things not to go get involved too deeply and um i i've i have a problem with that and the buddha buddhist sort of philosophy is is uh much the same it's you know when you look at the life of siddhartha and um he abandoned his family and his children and all in the name of detachment, not being attached. I'm not a Buddhist, so, you know, if I got something wrong, I know there's different kinds of Buddhism, but um, I I disagree with that philosophy. I think 
you know, the Christian philosophy is much different. It's one where you should be uh, thinking deeply. You should be um, pursuing knowledge of of the highest being that there is, the Creator, and pursuing a relationship with that being. And one of the main differences between Christianity and other religions is, is uh, first of all, reason. There is reason. Uh, it's relationship with God, um, and it's you being personally related and personally uh, engaged in a relationship with the Creator God and Jesus' His Son. Uh, but we have this example of, like I mentioned last time, of the way that we arrive at mercy is is the at God's mercy is through the sacrifice of Jesus, the sinless man, the man that had no reason to to uh, to die on a cross, that he was unjustly uh, tried, unjustly hung on a cross, and uh, you know. And there's some spiritual, lots of spiritual implications of that if you if you research it. And but he was a he was an all he was an all round man. He was a, a he he was a a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. Uh, I mean, and again, when you think of a God that is capable of being acquainted with grief and you have grief in your life and you have sorrows in your life it makes it more uh, tangible more personal but he has, it, it, he wasn't only that he wasn't only a man of sorrows he was also angry he he was an angry man he was angry at the the treatment of the the house of god when he turned over the money tables if you don't know the stories i can tell you where to find them in the in the New Testament, he was angry when when in fact in in John eleven you have all of the these traits displayed. So people have heard these names; they don't know who they are. They you know they see some fiction story made into a movie about Jesus being married to Mary Magdalene, which is there's no historic evidence for that. But whatever, so that's your view of Mary anyway. Lazarus was Mary's brother, and uh, he died. And Jesus was in another town, and when he came, um, he wept. He wept when when he found out that that uh, he knew he was dead. But when he found out he was dead, he wept. But not only did he weep, then he got angry. Uh, so here's a man that is the creator of life. He's part of the Godhead that created life. That all, if you have life, it came from him. It came from the Godhead. Um, and he's angry at death because death was never the plan. So he shows anger. So that's another thing, you know, I can relate, relate to. But not only that, he showed by his, by his being the author of life and then giving himself over to die on a sacrifice, he showed the power over death that is possessed through his righteous sacrifice, he rose from the dead. So again, this is something, there's no other faith, no other legitimate um, world faith that that speaks of its leader rising from the dead. Um, and I know of faiths that, that say because Jesus rose from the dead, it just shows that he was a rebellious, he was a rebellious teacher. He should never have risen from the dead. Um, 
it was a miracle that should never have happened, according, and this, these are karmic religions or faiths. Um, so we have this man who is acquainted with sorrows. He's angry. He's risen from the dead. I mean, he died, and he's risen from the dead. And you can look at that, and there's not, I don't, I don't know of any other faith that has this character. Uh, I have this guitar, and it uh, it reminds me of Hoagie, and um, it reminds me of an era to memories, you know. Um, and I guess, you know, I'm thinking of Absalom, and his first, his, the rape of his sister, and then the lack of punishment and you know I can probably every day uh, tell you of ways that I feel like I've I'm weak or I've you know not done what I need to do to be the godly man that I want to be um, but that's part of this whole process of uh, getting to know God and God getting to know me and be actually becoming a son of God like he adopts us when we accept the adoption, he adopts us and we become children of God and we have all the rights of sons and daughters of God. Um, so uh, that's hope, you know, and uh, that keeps you going even though people I love uh, die and leave and are angry and perhaps even despise me um, I have hope and uh, if any of this stuff again uh, sort of speaks to you speaks to your heart tugs on your heart pokes you a little bit and you feel so inclined uh, take it to God in prayer be specific about the God you're praying to I would say because there's so many quote unquote gods out there but the triune God, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, in the name of Jesus, because that's where the power is. And uh, He will show, He will reveal Himself if that's what you're desiring. So, anyway, next time.
path 